e-commerce is continuing to mature. And as it continues to mature, like anything in capital markets, the need for experts goes higher. It goes higher and higher and higher. Welcome to Honest E-Commerce, where we're dedicated to cutting through the BS and finding actionable advice for online store owners. I'm your host, Chase Clymer. And I believe running an online business does not have to be complicated or a guessing game. If you're struggling with scaling your sales, Electric Eye is here to help. To apply to work with us, visit electriceye.io slash connect to learn more. Now let's get on with the show. All right, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Honest E-Commerce. This episode is going to be a good one uh, for people that have experienced the ebb and flow of e-commerce during this last year. Uh, It's been a pretty wild year. And you know what? I bet some people out there are like, I think it's time I want to sell my business. So today on the show, I'm welcoming Chris Shipperling. Chris is an expert when it comes to selling your business. Chris, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Chase. I appreciate it, man. Thank you for having me on. Now, to specify, are you mostly talking about like e-commerce businesses with your expertise, or are you kind of all over the place? Yeah, great question. So, you know, I'll give you a little bit of context in terms of who we are and our backgrounds, and that will probably it'll give you a, a much better answer to that question. So, my background: I came from consumer products. I worked for close to about fourteen years in small business, ranging from twenty-two million all the way up to half a billion dollar companies working in various sales and marketing executive positions but specifically in CPG you know working with big box retailers working with Amazon when it was way back in the day back in 2003 2004 vendor central days and have worked of course with various uh, call it you know in store retailers and then also e-tailers as well my partner's background they all came from large institutional investment banks um, working for Citibank for Deutsche Bank for Wells Fargo Bank of America for hedge funds various credit Credit hedge funds, private equity, et cetera, et cetera. So I say all that to say, yes, we're digitally focused at Global Wire, but because of our backgrounds, we're fairly agnostic. And so, really, what our firm has turned into is a marrying of both, call it anyone that's got any level of maybe some traditional and also digital, we can handle it all within the consumer product goods space. So I hope I hope that answered your question with a little bit of context. Yeah, no, it answers the questions a lot, and I guess CPG is a, is an easy term for me to really be like, oh yeah, they've got some e-commerce element to it, especially now. And if they don't, like they're leaving money on the table, <laughs> lots of money. That's yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, you know, consumer packaged goods. So that's anything from like some toothpaste all the way up to like you know headphones in like some cool box. Like it kind of runs the gamut. It does. That's exactly right. Anything that's effectively consumer facing is is going to be consumer packaged goods. That's right. A really terrible thing to think about would honestly be like, could you buy it at Walmart? It's probably considered a consumer packaged good. Uh, or could a thing exist and be bought at Walmart? I guess I don't know. That's right. Walmart, and we'll use we'll use something. We'll soften the blow a little bit there. Anything that can be purchased at Target or Target. Yeah. Um. This you nailed it though. That's exactly correct. Awesome. And now Amazon, right? That's the new vernacular. <laughs> Anything you can purchase at Amazon effectively outside, of course, of watching movies and yeah. uh, doing any cloud-based services. Amazon <laughs> does it all. So I do it all. So all right, let's let's kind of get into the nitty-gritty of the podcast here today. So let's say sure. you know, my name is Joe and I've been running my business now for a couple of years. We've got some really good track record uh, selling these widgets, you know, small skew count product line. 
And I'm starting to play around with the idea of, you know, this has gotten too big for me, or mm-hmm. I just don't have time for this anymore. There's a new passion in my life. And I'm thinking about selling it. You know, that's just like coming to that realization is one thing, but th- then what's the next step? Like, I don't, you know, are people yeah. knocking down doors trying to buy businesses? How's this work? Great, great question. I'll try and keep it 30,000 feet and then feel free to bring me down into the minutia uh, or anything lower. When you're at that place and you're looking at potentially, you know, selling your business, right? The first thing you need to do is get in touch with a really good M&A advisor or, or some type of advisory firm. All right. What's that stand for? Yeah. So uh, mergers and acquisitions is what it stands for. Now, there's not a whole lot of merging that occurs in this part of the capital markets. It's more acquisition, right? Just outright selling your company. And that takes on a lot of different structure, which we can get into a lot later. So Joe, you have a great company. Congratulations on your success. It has gotten to a point where you just know you can't take that next click and you can't take it to the next level. So you get in touch with someone like us, right? I'm going to ask you a series of questions about your business uh, because you now expressed that you're ready to potentially go to what we call market, right? First and foremost, I'm going to ask you about the health of your business, right? Those are going to be some, some specific metrics. Now, it's not all financial metrics. It's going to be both financial and digital. I'm assuming you, Joe, have a digital business. Is that, is that correct? So you would have an all-digital company, uh, only e-commerce. Is that correct? Sure. Let's go with that. That's most brands that exist on Shopify would be, still be considered digital even though you're selling a product. That's right. So, you know, you're digitally focused is what we really say, right? And digitally minded. You're you're looking to sell direct to consumer or 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 something of some type of derivative. So I'm going to ask you though about the health of your business. Let's start with financials. Do you have organized financials? It's a very basic question, but my goodness, a lot of people in their in the in the spectrum of answers that we receive is all over the place. So do you have healthy financials? Now, what does that mean? Do you have PL? Do you have profit and loss statements by month for the past at least two years? Are you on accrual basis or are you on cash basis for your accounting? You know, is it is it done through uh, you know, is it done through a generally accepted accounting principles, right? So gap um, method, you know, do you have a good CPA? We're going to go through this whole yellow brick road. Uh, and I'm going to ask you a lot of questions around your financials. Do you have a balance sheet? Is it up to date? You know, what are the what are the debt and liabilities and assets currently running through the business? That's really what the what's what the balance sheet does. So we're going to walk through that. And then I'm going to I'm going to rotate over towards now, the actual mechanics of the of the company. Walk me through your vertical. Um, how did you how did you get into this vertical? Where are you? Where is your revenue concentration? Are you mostly Shopify? Are you mostly Amazon? Because that's going to inform me how much data do you actually have on your consumer, right? If it's on Amazon and mostly through Amazon, well, it's going to dilute the amount of data you have. You've got to go through other methods. Sometimes they're gray. Sometimes they're black hat methods. And that doesn't necessarily make a potential acquirer feel good. But if you're running most of your revenue concentration through Shopify, well, then I know you've got a lot of data on that particular consumer. And as you know, Chase, that data begets more data, mm-hmm. which means more sales, right? Yep. This is what you do for a living. <laughs> so I'm going to ask now, I'm going to get into some, I'm going to get into the minutiae, right? I'm going to say, okay, walk me through understanding your vertical. Um, you are mostly repeat purchase. Okay, great. Let's talk about your CAC, right? 
I'm okay now if I hear that your CAC is, you know, almost that you're not profitable to get that first first sale. Um, what does your now LTV look like? Um, how long do you typically keep it? What's the consumer life cycle for the particular widget that you're selling? How many of the variants of that widget do you have? Right. So we're gonna really talk through a lot of, of financial health and a lot of call it just um, digital marketing health, right? And yeah. just pure sales and marketing health yeah. with the business. If anyone's been listening to this podcast for over a month, I don't know, it comes up in almost every podcast. It's like, you need to know every number you just rifled off. You need to know your numbers. E-commerce is numbers at the end of the day. And you can't just go by your gut. You need to understand how much this stuff costs. A, not only the, for a potential sale down the line, that's some people's... Not their goal. But it for the more important thing is you actually have to know how much money you're making, or you might just be running at a loss over a very long time. You nailed it too. And I mean, look, we talk to folks all the time and we try and be very educational. Um, sometimes it's actually translated as just being benevolent or altruistic, because in some cases it really is. There are folks we speak to that don't want to sell their company, but we talk to them anyways because they just want to understand the process, kind of like how we're having this conversation. And look, it's always healthy to set your business up for sale no matter where you are in the process because of exactly what you just said, Chase. The fact that someone is running this operation and they're at a point now where they're like, Hey, maybe this is actually getting a little overwhelming. It's getting too big for me. If you don't know your numbers just from, from both on the consumer product from sales and marketing all the way to you know financial numbers, I don't know where you're actually steering the ship. I don't even know how you're surviving up to this point <laughs> to yeah. be blunt because... It's all so important. That startup phase is a lot of flying by the seat of your pants, figuring out what works really fast, and you really don't have time to kind of get into the weeds there. But you know, that zero to one million is like the startup phase that I've been going with. So from one to ten is like probably scaling. And in that phase, that's when the numbers matter. That's when you're that's when you're either gonna go bankrupt or you're gonna win. Yeah, you nailed it. That's exactly right. Nobody likes insurance, but everybody should have it. Mistakes do happen. Our partner Rewind can protect your Shopify store with automated backups of your most important data. Rewind should be the first app you install to protect your store against human error, misbehaving apps, or collaborators gone bad. It's like having your very own magic undo button. Trusted by over 70,000 businesses from side hustles to the biggest online retailers like Gymshark, Gatorade, and Movement Watches. Best of all, respond to any of their welcome emails and mention Honest E-Commerce to get your first month absolutely free. That's kind of the filler kill phase, right? It's go or no go. Uh, I would agree with that. But you know, too, and I think you might agree with me when I say this out loud, to some degree, even in a startup phase, the amount of data, data processing, data applications, apps through Shopify, folks like yourself that are out there, experts, when it comes to digital marketing um, and all things, you know, Shopify, all things Amazon, you start to run up a little bit now. I say in 2021 going into 20 or 2020, 2020 going into 2021, even in startup phase, if you don't know your numbers, it's kind of like, hmm, I don't know if any excuse now is going to be relevant, right? Yeah. Because there's just so much information out there. Live, I mean, uh, uh, I think it's, um, what's the name of this one Shopify app? Uh, live live timely or something like that. I think it is, or um, it's it's some app. I know some of our clients have used before, and I'm of course coming up with a little bit of a brain fog at the moment. But it shows you all of the LTV and and repeat purchase data, and it's in a fantastic app. 
It shows your AOV. It shows you all of the metrics you need just pulling in all your Shopify data. It just proves my point, right? Mm -hmm. Even in a startup to that 1 to 10 million phase, there's just now so much out there in terms of data reading and dashboarding. It's almost like, hey, man, you can know your numbers pretty early on. And it really is. It does inform your business plan. And that's the other thing that we also talk a lot to Joe, a guy like Joe. What's your three-year business plan? You know, if they just scratch their head, not a problem. You know, we help work through that. We help discuss that. We help, you know, weed through all of their information. And, you know, that's part of our process, which I can get into a little bit later. But, you know, most importantly, you're a consumer products company. You know, I, I worked in the middle market company that I worked at. We had, you know, I can't even begin to tell you how many product managers we had. And as well as just, we, had, we actually pulled in a lot of folks from both um, Kimberly Clark and Procter and Gamble. We were always talking in terms of three years down the road. NPD or new product development was constantly the conversation, right? And it was also, you know, we were talking about channel diversification and and a you know real channel strategy, which product is gonna go into Kroger, but then which product is gonna go into, you know, call it Nordstrom. Basically, we kind of ran the gamut with a lot of different product lines. So that's also an important piece, right? Is you're definitely getting to Joe's level and it may be overwhelming, but it's like, hey man, what exactly do you currently have now that you know would pass a sniff test down the road to a potential acquirer that could be built to take this company then to the next click, right? Mm -hmm. So that's another important piece. It's almost like if you're Joe and you're coming to us and you're at that place, Jace, it's almost like, let's now talk through every single function of your business. And if there's some holes, let's talk through what that looks like to fill those holes. Um, and if some of those holes in terms of functions, and I'm talking about basic functions of any business, sales, operations, marketing, finance, etc., you know, logistics, um, manufacturing, etc., etc. There are any... If, some of those feel anemic. Let's go ahead and try and fill those in as well. And so that's that's what I would recommend someone like Joe do. Yeah. Businesses are the most successful when they own their data, customer relationships, and their growth. That's why more than 50,000 e-commerce brands like Living Proof, Huckberry, and Solo Stove trust Clavio to deliver their ideal customer experience. Clavio is the ultimate e-commerce marketing platform for online brands of all kinds and all sizes. With email automation, SMS marketing, list growth tools, and more, you'll get everything you need to build strong relationships that keep your customers coming back. If you're tired of relying too heavily on paid advertising or third-party marketplaces for your sales success, you're not alone. It's time to take back control of the customer experience. More and more online businesses are moving to Klaviyo to grow higher value customer relationships through personalized email and SMS marketing. And the results are staggering. On what's typically the biggest weekend of the year for online retailers last Cyber Weekend alone, brands made nearly $1 billion in sales through Klaviyo's platform. That's 3.1% of total online sales that were powered by Klaviyo. Ready to drive future sales and higher customer lifetime value with a marketing platform built for your long-term growth? Get a free trial at Clavio.com slash honest. That's K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash H-O-N-E-S-T. I mean, it's one of those things where if you're getting to the point where you want to sell your business, if it's because you think it's like... If you know your business is failing, it's not going to pass any sniff test and nobody's going to want to buy it. So you're going to need to like... Correct. If you're to that point, you're almost screwed. No one's going to buy a failing business 
except for like a super deal with a lot of leverage. That's right. So you're not going to be happy with the outcome. You can get out from under it. That's right. But you're not going to have you're not going to have a profitable thing going on there. You're going to you're not going to like that time. But on the other side of it, I, I do want to go back to something that you said earlier is like those startup phases especially now moving into 2021. A lot of people were like relying on we're just going to put throw money at Facebook and we're going to scale this bad boy because it was affordable. <laughs> Good luck. Facebook is not affordable anymore. It is absolutely expensive. It is. It is actually it is. we are pulling budget out of Facebook and putting it at other places for all of our clients. Yeah. Facebook is not cheap anymore and that cannot be if you go to any investor uh, that knows anything about e-commerce and your business plan right now is like, I need to get some more money and I'm spending all that money on Facebook, they're going to say, no, that, that's not a good plan. Yeah. No, you're right. And I think what it does is it continues to validate just by you saying what you said, it continues to validate the the need. And the, the, let me back it up. E-commerce is continuing to mature. And as it continues to mature, like anything in capital markets, the need for experts goes higher. It goes higher and higher and higher. So folks like yourself become so much more valuable in our opinion, because you are on the forefront of being able to determine which way the ship needs to go. And that ship is digital marketing, right? Yeah. And you're telling me right now, Facebook, and I agree with you, we're seeing those same type of numbers where you know the cost to acquire a customer through Facebook it's starting to go higher and higher. The cost to acquire a customer through uh, Instagram, of course, which is owned by Facebook, it's going higher and higher and higher. So, what other methods are out there? Well, you know, I do know that TikTok, I think, just opened up their advertising what about a year ago. Yeah, the beta program started kind of right around when COVID hit, especially with e-commerce. They had like a specific e-commerce element to it for like almost dynamic retargeting, which was wild. Right. Exactly. So. Well, what does it look like to maybe put... I mean, that's a much younger demographic. Although, you know, just like any other social media platform, the old people are typically the last to get on, but they will eventually get on. But, you know, what does that actually look like? I know that there... So there are other methods. There's other places to go and advertise. And folks like yourself... Um, I mean, when it comes to digital marketing, you guys are the Jungle Scouts and the Sherpas, man, right? Helping your client really find the places that they need to go to accomplish what a digital marketing firm should do for a CPG company. Sell more widgets and also you know, <laughs> at a place where it's profitable. Yeah. So, no, I agree with you. Yeah, it's one of those things where I mean, agencies exist for brands that want it done the right way the first time, and they understand like that they have the capacity to do it. There are a lot of good freelancers out there, and I sometimes see them having issues with capacity, uh, and then that makes their work product unfortunately not as good. That's right. You know, on the flip side, man, there's terrible agencies out there too. I don't know. There are just <laughs> yeah, there are no, there are, and you have to. I mean, you know, you have to weed through them for sure, and you got to be much better in terms of your interviewing process as a brand. You know, asking for references, or I mean, genuinely, referrals tend to always be the yeah. best. I'm sure you'd agree with me. They always are the best type of client uh, or potential agency because someone, a friend, said, "Hey, I did this, and look at all the success they had with me," etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So. So yeah, back to Joe. So that's what we would do with Joe. We would we would really vet, and in our firm in particular, we're very what's the word? Uh, I don't want to use the term picky, but we have a criteria, and so we're not taking on every single client because we're not a business broker. We are, you know, a lower middle market investment bank. We're true M and A advisors, and uh, we're a partner led firm. I'm not a guy on a desk with you know a, na- a name slapped to me as a license trying to get as many deals up on a listing site as I possibly can. 
Um, we're very selective on who we take on. So to your point about Joe, we're going to spend a lot of time with him. We're going to bet. We're going to dig in. We're going to understand his business. And we're going to play business coach um, mm-hmm. with him in terms of, are you really ready for an exit? Because we know the acquirers very well. We came from that world. We know the world of investing and we know the world of investment banking. And so we know what acquirers are looking for and what makes businesses more attractive and drive better value than just taking the business and throwing it up on a listing site. Yeah. Since 2004, Avalara's vision has been to harness the power of cloud technology to help simplify sales tax for businesses of all sizes. Avalara solutions are designed to affordably scale with businesses as they grow over time. Tax compliance is not a revenue-generating activity. So, Avalara's technology is designed to help you manage compliance as efficiently and accurately as possible so you can reclaim your valuable time and reduce risk in your business. With more than 1,000 signed partner integrations, Avalara likely integrates with the ERP, e-commerce, mobile payment, and point-of-sale systems you use today. Find out how your business can be sales tax ready at avalara.com slash honest. That's A-V-A-L-A-R-A dot com slash H-O-N-E-S-T. Avalara. Tax compliance done right. So I got a question. So you know, you're going through this process with, with Joe and Joe is just overwhelmed with the business it's gotten bigger than he ever thought it would and you know there's probably other circumstances you know he had a kid or something um sure. you know he just doesn't have the time to invest in this business anymore so he can't answer that three three year question he's like i can't even think like till next week he's like but i know yeah. we have a good product we have good customers the sales are there like do you help them come up with that three year plan and like those projections because i feel like that is like where people all of it yeah all of it yep absolutely and so we utilize both, you know, our our strong financial engineering background because, you know, that's basically all we did. My one partner, um, Chris, he actually worked on the buy side uh, for a couple of different firms. And just to, I may be using language that uh, before you even ask the question. So there's sell side and there's buy side. Buy side are private equity firms. They're um, hedge funds. They're out there looking for deals, right? So they're the ones kind of vetting the deals that come across their desk. And then, of course, sell side is what we focus on right now as Global Wired Advisors. And that's helping someone go and sell their company. Um, and so having that experience both on you know the sell and buy side, uh, we understand what it looks like to model out you know projections for widget A through Z. The fancy Latin term for that is called a pro forma, which you may have heard of before. And so yes, we're going to dig in with Joe. I myself, I run business development marketing. And then when it comes to our SIM creation process or offering memorandum is what we call it or investment book. So the book, the marketing book that we're creating to go and market the company with out to potential acquirers and potential investment partners. I actually run that part of the business, uh, which is data analytics as well as... Um, really building out that opportunity for the next 3 years. So I, myself, and my team, um, we would be working very closely as well as with one of my partners who would be the deal runner. We're going to work on that 3-year plan. You know, Coming from the background that I came from, I sold to lots of different type of entities right, or different sales channels. I've done international distribution. I've done Amazon. I've done you know, selling direct to consumer. And I've also selling to specialty and then also selling to even mid-tier, call it retailers, and then also some mm-hmm. of the top tier. I've sold to Walmart, sold to Target, sold to Bed Bath & Beyond, etc. So it really gives us a good view and perspective on being able to take Joe's business 
and say, instead of just writing things like, yeah, could go to Walmart, could go to Walmart Canada, we're going to dig in with Joe. We're actually going to create a nice three-year plan that probably won't go all of it into our investment books per se, but we're going to have that ready for the potential acquirer to really listen or see for themselves, this is where the business could go. And this is what it's going to look like. And that is just not something that... It's not something that someone can just come along and one day say, yeah, I really think... I, oh, I can do that too. You know, It takes a lot of experience. And in particular, with the four of us, you're talking about over 20 years of true, call it investment banking plus real operating experience on a larger, on a larger scale. So yes, we're going to help Joe do all of that. Gotcha. We're going to do it for him. So you, you and Joe have been doing this. I'm assuming this process takes months. No, it doesn't. So you know, Joe wants to sell his business. Um, it, for us to put together an offering memorandum and get him to market and all the information we need to put in front of an acquirer to, to optimize the value of the company and optimize his particular outcome, we usually take about three, three and a half weeks, sometimes four weeks to get all of this, the whole entire investment book ready to go and also us our firm, the deal runner, uh, and myself to really understand the company so we can go out there and market it effectively. So no, it won't take months. I think that goes back to, you know, you're making you're making sure that it's the right fit for the process, uh, you know, and process driven That's right. on your side, as well as I'm assuming you're really looking for process driven businesses on the other side as well. Because if they are yep. if they've got all that stuff in place, it's gonna be a lot easier to sell. That's exactly right. If they got the stuff in place, and then of course, you know, during our vetting process before they become a client, we're going to do that's kind of that's kind of the business coaching now for us. That's you know, we're not charging for any of the vetting. We're not charging for any of the business coaching that we're giving them. And really, what I mean by that it goes back to what I said earlier. We're going to walk Joe through all of his functions, and if we know there's something that's missing, we're going to show him where it's missing, and then also how to fill that gap in a short-term way, but then could be filled from a long-term perspective by a potential acquirer. Uh-huh. Yeah. So like, for instance, let me, I'll be specific because I promised you before I got on this podcast, I would be specific. <laughs> Let's just say his financials are just in disarray, right? I mean, you know, it's, it's all over the place. Well, we're going to provide resources for him, both internally and also externally, that's going to help him get his books cleaned up. Now, in some cases, what's that, what that's called in, say, the middle market investment banking world and the institutional investment banking world, it's what they call Q of E or quality of earnings. And so we're going to make sure that you know, his financials and earnings are vetted and stamped by a firm that when we go out there to seek a good potential investment partner or acquirer for his business, they look at those stamped financials by some firm or even us because we've got a good reputation. They're going to say, okay, these are good financials. They're clean. You know, if he, um, if we've noticed that, for instance, like you said, let's just say we're like, hey man, your CAC is just not, it's not good. You're indexing way higher than your peers. So I'm going to introduce you to someone who I know could become a longer term partner but may be able to start cleaning you up sooner than later in the form of a digital marketing firm. The list could go on. We can go yeah. through each function, which I won't now, but we could go, we'll go through each function. We'll find out where, he, where Joe is missing you know, those particular puzzle pieces. Gotcha. What do all e-commerce stores have in common? That's right. Customers. And those customers are going to have questions. Gorgeous is the leading e-commerce help desk with over 5,500 customers on Shopify, Magento, and BigCommerce. 
Their software is built with machine learning to optimize your support system and allow your team to save time and money on repetitive inquiries while still remaining personalized. What it does is take all of your customers' insights and information, brings it into their amazing dashboard so you can solve your customer's problem as quickly as possible. If you want to give Gorgeous a try, visit gorgeous.grsm.io slash honest to get your second month free. That's G-O-R-G-I-A-S dot G-R-S-M dot I-O slash H-O-N-E-S-T. And now let's say you've ran this whole thing with Joe. And let's say for the easiest sort of math out here, coach me through these numbers and the math part of it. But let's, let's just say it's a $5 million a year business. And what that means is mm-hmm. their top line is $5 million. That doesn't mean the profit's $5 million for everyone listening. Let's just say that's the number and you've cleaned up the numbers of his books because he was doing Excel spreadsheets back and forth with his vendors overseas and it wasn't digital at all. All that's working. Mm-hmm. This is all verified now. Yep. You know, you know, what should you be expecting from the market for like a sales price? Great question. So, you know, we always talk in in terms of structure and range, right? When we speak to our, our potential clients. So Joe at that point should be running about a 20% EBITDA level. That's healthy, right? We range, we like to find and take on clients that are ranging from about 15 to 25. EBITDA, are you familiar with that term? Uh earnings before net taxes or something? Basically, yes. For for the long and short, it's just earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. That's all it is. It's the financial metric that pretty much all major investment um, uh, folks use to to measure a business and also then apply a multiple. Now, it's either EBITDA or cash flow, which I can get into in a little bit. Um, but it's pretty much about the same. Um, you know, Sometimes you have what's called adjusted EBITDA because what you're doing is you're modeling the business under a new acquirer, which means that you need to add potentially a CEO. You might need to add a vice president of sales or a vice president of marketing. So you have to model that in and adjust the EBITDA because if a you know private equity firm is purchasing this, Joe's gone potentially. Mm-hmm. And so they've got to bring they got to bring an operator in and they might have to bring two operators in. So there's some nuances there. I do have a question. Yeah, go ahead. How often do you see? I mean, this might be the secret sauce of the buyer, though. But like, do those estimates change in the sense that, like, okay, well, this buyer—it's a roll-up strategy. They have all these warehouses and connections and product manufacturers, and they can do bulk, and they can do you know the, the economy of scale. Does that mm-hmm. ever factor in? Uh, yes. And does the seller ever see that information? Yes. So that's what we would typically call a strategic purchase. And that's somebody who's got all of the tools, basically. And really what they want is they want your brand name, they want your widgets, uh, and they want your market share of whatever channel that you're selling mostly through. We just closed the deal last week where it was exactly that. And you know, on a business that normally, if you ran it through a typical call it business broker process, listing it and gone through a non-strategic, maybe just a personal buyer, um, it would have probably yielded maybe like a three multiple, maybe. Um, but because we found the right fit for this for this particular client, and it really was the right fit, they sold a product that was a perfect fit for a ninety million dollar company, and this company was only three million. Um, and so, you know, they were actually less than really where our criteria is today. I'll get into that in a, in a, in a moment. But we really we found them the perfect acquirer. And the ultimate multiple on that was 5.5 because they are looking... They're just modeling things differently. And you nailed it, Chase. They're just looking at the world a lot differently. Now, 
when you take it over to say private equity and someone who needs to put a portfolio manager in place, they need to put an operating team in place, they're going to model it differently. And also, they're not going to pay as much, right? Because the strategic can take the widget day one and they can, it's almost like a Midas touch, right? Mm -hmm. It turns to gold immediately because, you know, the ramp. The ramp to higher revenue, higher profitability, you know, that ramp is in that curve is much, much faster than say a private equity firm or even a personal capital buyer buying the business. So let's get back to Joe's company, right? So we're going to establish and let's just say he has a million dollars. Now, at this point, I'm going to have a long conversation with Joe and say, look, here's what it looks like to sell your business today. And I'm going to walk them through what we really consider call just the different tiers of folks who would be interested in buying his company. He's going to struggle to find a strategic because lots of strategics at a million dollars in cash flow or a million dollars in EBITDA, they're just not that interested. They just, it's really difficult for them to get excited about a million dollars in cash flow or EBITDA. Now, what he might get is maybe what we would consider more of that tier two, call it mid-tier private equity or just kind of smaller private equity firms, maybe some family offices. It also depends too at this point, you know, where is most of his revenue concentration? If it's mostly through Amazon, there is risk downside, unfortunately, still out there. There are investors who go, mm, man, that Amazon risk doesn't make me feel good. Now, they're reading all of the boogeyman articles, right? They're reading the CNBC articles that talk about you know suspensions and people getting shut down and all the counterfeit and Bezos acting crazy. The reality is the valuation for Amazon continues to stay strong and goes up. The stock price continues to go up. Traffic can all the metrics for Amazon continue to get healthier and healthier. And so we're starting, at least our firm, we're starting to talk guys out of that whole risk conversation. But the multiple continues to suppress because you don't own the data. Back to what I said earlier. Yeah. So if most of Joe's revenue concentration is through Shopify, he owns data and it makes him more attractive. So as far as valuation range goes, we could probably find him a good fit. You know, He's got not a lot of history on the business, probably maybe at this point, two or three years, maybe three or four years at the most. We probably would find him a valuation range, um, a total multiple, maybe around call it four and a half, five. And that includes working capital, which translated some level of inventory, right? Mm -hmm. It would also include potentially an earn out um, structure, which means I'm going to give you, you know, 80% cash at close. So you literally get money transferred on that day to your bank account and whatever wiring instructions you've given the bank or the escrow agent. And then, you know, maybe 20% of it is in rolled equity, right? You know, it might be in the form of, hey, we want you to stay on. Private equity loves this. We want you to stay on. So we're willing to give you 20% or 10% of the new company and roll equity with us. And we want you to stay in place. We're going to give you a, an employee agreement. Uh, it's going to be very lucrative, et cetera, et cetera. Or Joe might say, look, I wasn't kidding. I'm burnt out. So I'm done after 6 months. I'll give you 6 months, but that's it. Okay, no problem. We'll give you 6 months, but we'll still give you the 20% because we want to hedge our risk. right? They want to hedge their risk in the form of equity versus just any any other form of structure. Finally, you know there might be actual no rolled equity and some type of earnout. You know earnouts come in all types of forms. This is where you have to be very careful because structure and deal structure it's our expertise. It's our forte. There are a lot of folks selling businesses like ours. It's not their forte, and they get they get lost very very quickly. Because there's a lot of ways to structure earnouts, and at the end of the day, it needs to benefit the seller. Period. 
Uh, and that's where we really come in and we play a, just a tremendous quarterback for the seller, making sure that earnout looks really good. And so for Joe at 1 million, that's what it's going to look like. And I'm assuming... Oh, go ahead, Chase. I'm sorry. I'm assuming when we're, when we're discussing earnout here and earnout with no rolled equity, you know, it's this concept of the golden handcuffs. And I guess you could kind of explain like why this wouldn't be very appealing to someone that wants to sell their company. Traditionally, it's been unappealing. But I mean, some of the structures that we've created for our clients have taken the business from a you know, a five multiple all in, say, if it were just, you know, just a normalized earnout or whatever. And we've been able to negotiate that at the end of their earnout, the end of their term, um, close to a seven multiple on the business and upwards, even eight multiple on the business. So there's ways to structure it where it's very advantageous. You know, we just, we actually, for our firm, we got just on Friday another earnout check where one of our clients got full earnout. For year one, now they've got one more year to go. Uh, it's a nice annuity, honestly. So if you can turn it into something that's very advantageous for the seller, again, this is where and um, I feel like I'm stumping for you know politics back in the late 1700s. Uh, but representation matters, right? It just does. And so having the right team and the right deal team um, to help you structure the correct deal structure for you, this is where it really starts to matter. It matters in finding the right acquirer because that's a huge process. Um, and if you're passive with that process, the outcome will be suboptimal. So you want someone who's highly invested like our firm. And then also when it comes to the actual you know, negotiating of the structure. So earnouts, to your point, somewhat have a little bit of a stigma on them. If you have the right deal team, it can become very, very advantageous and, and very far away from being a stigma. Yeah. If you can play the game and make it worthwhile, then it's... You know, it's just another piece of negotiation. Yeah, another. For instance, you know, we have a client right now going under LOI, um, and he's going to get a multiple of his current trailing twelve uh, cash flow, and then we negotiated that in you know because Q four. I'm speaking your language here, man. Q four for most CPG. I mean, it's the quarter, right? It's the Super Bowl of quarters. <laughs> you know, some folks are are more flat throughout the year. They're not as seasonal, but at least with our client base, we found that I'd say, you know, over 50% for sure, maybe touching 60, 70%. Q4 is like, again, it's the Super Bowl of quarters, right? Yeah. And so they're going to buy the business um, on November 1st, but then on January 1st, they're going to look at the two months of that cash flow. And apply an even bigger multiple to those two months as a quote unquote first level earnout. So if you kind of see how, I mean, your brains, your gears are probably moving right now. If you're thinking about Joe's business and you know that, you know, he's had a good trailing 12 at a million and we are projecting a really good, you know, future growth for him, but that he's a seasonal product um, and he's gonna get now two months times a multiple of that cash flow and another pop of earnout. On top of another of earnout that we're negotiating for him for the next two or three years, it's really advantageous, man. It starts to make the deal really attractive, and also too in this particular deal that I just mentioned, Joe doesn't have to stay on. He literally gives up the business day one. It's just all contractual earnout from there on out. So that's awesome. Yeah, I mean, you know, like there are a million ways to structure your business. There's a million ways to structure these deals, and it's definitely worthwhile to. Not go into it blind and and do you have time or money? You can learn some of these things or you can just invest in the right partner and get it done faster. 
and obviously, the faster you can get things done, quicker you can make moves, the faster you can pivot. And essentially, the better off your business should be in reality. Obviously, that there are scam artists out there and people that you shouldn't work with. That's right. You should be pretty wary about them. But I mean, using trusted partners for some of these things, you know, I think going from zero to one, like I talked about uh, probably on the last episode, was you know that startup phase. You can realistically get get away with all that yourself and doing it yourself and just like getting some some good coaching here and there. But going from one to ten or whatever, you know, that next step should definitely get dedicated partners for specific parts of the business to help make a well-oiled machine. No, you nailed it. So, yeah, you absolutely nailed it. And I'll just say one more thing, and I know that we might be bumping up against time. The other thing we're going to talk Joe through is I know you're burnout, but we just walk through a lot of kind of your business and a lot of the functions of your business. Sometimes it renews energy with the with the business owner just to actually have a conversation with someone who can speak their language <laughs> and really speak their language from a strategic perspective. And even in some cases, which we've noticed, actually bring real strategy into the company where that gas, that strategy gas has been just vacant for the past two years because Joe is just buried, right? Tough for him to get out of the weeds and really think strategically. So sometimes we'll actually see the fog kind of lift. And that's where we really start to pivot the conversation and say, look, Joe, you don't have to go to market right now. If you've got renewed energy, we really encourage you to try and get that EBITDA up. And the closer he can get it to 3 million, there is an absolute cut line out there in the investment world. When you hit 3 million, you start to wake up a lot of different folks. And then we can really take your business to a lot more potential acquirers and a lot more strategic acquirers and ultimately get Joe a lot more cash for his business. You're talking at 1 million, I gave you what? About a range of call it, let's just call it four and a half, maybe five or four to five. So it's easy math, four to five million, three million EBITDA. We're looking at more, if he's all Shopify, maybe like a six, six and a half, maybe seven. You're talking 18 to 21 million. That's a huge difference. Huge. And so that's where we really like to take our time with clients and just make sure they fully understand what the landscape looks like out there. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, so if someone's listening to this podcast and they're like, a lot of these things register with me and you know what? I, I want to reach out and I want to I want to talk to you. What do I do? Great question. So they're going to contact... Um, they go to our website, globalwiredadvisors.com. They're going to, um, you know, I, we have a valuation tool on our website to where they can fill out the valuation tool and kind of see. We put real market data in that valuation tool. Um, we ask a lot of questions too, so it's not just some, you know, quick and easy type of valuation. However, it's still, gosh, fifty thousand feet. Devil is always in the details. So if they fill that out. You know, it's a good place to start, and then of course I'll follow up right away and see if they want to have a conversation about their business. Secondly, they can go to our consultation form that goes directly to me and uh, ask some questions about their company, so I can really understand kind of where they stand. We do have a criteria in our firm. You you kind of nailed it in our even our example. We're really looking to take on businesses that are, I'd say, upper you know six figures in cash flow. Um, up up to you know call it that you know seven to low very low eight figures in cash flow. That's really where we where our firm plays, and that's where our our process uh, works the best. So that's how they get in touch with us, man. Um, and uh, you know any listener that's listening today, just know that uh, if you're not there yet, that's not a problem. Still still reach out to us. We're happy to have the conversations today, even if you're two years out. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Awesome. Thank you, Chase. 
I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show and sharing their journey and knowledge with us today. We've got a lot to think about and potentially add into our businesses. Links and more information will be available in the show notes as well. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, feel free to reach out and learn more at electriceye.io slash connect. Also, make sure you subscribe and leave an amazing review. Thank you.